Hi, everybody. Welcome to Retronauts Pocket, number 15. I'm Ray Barnholt, and with me in the studio are the exact same people from the last main episode, Bob Mackey. Hi. And Jeremy Parrish on the line. Yay! And our guest, Gary Butterfield. Hello. From Watch Out for Fireballs, a very nice show, similar to ours in some ways. Wouldn't you say so, Gary? In in some way. (laughs) Yes, I would say so. I would say we're in direct cutthroat competition with each other. Yeah, no, don't check the the glasses that you're all drinking from. (laughs) Oh, shit. Because there's a a secret special ingredient. I don't think that's how friendship works. (laughs) (laughs) You guys. Come on. All right. Anyway, this episode of Pocket is about uh, Capcom's Destiny of an Emperor. And uh, it is a topic brought to us by one of our Kickstarter backers, Stephen Stook. And uh, he wrote a little message for us that includes such insight as the following. I was only 10 or so when I played it, along with my 8-year-old brother, so I think a lot of the game's subtlety flew right over our heads. At this point, I've experienced the Yellow Turban Rebellion more times than I can remember, but at the time, this was pretty much my first exposure to the whole ancient China mythos. And that is... Well, what Destiny of an Emperor is all about. Um, It is not the same as Koei's Romance of the Three Kingdoms series, although it does deal with the same sort of subjects. In fact, uh, Bob, you were just telling me an anecdote before recording. That's right. Uh, I mean, I I avoided this game because that's what I thought it was until much, much later when emulation caught on, I played it. And uh, I think, Gary, you were the same way. And people we were out to uh, dinner with, we brought up what we were talking about today, and they're like, oh, isn't that that Koei game, that tactical... Isn't that Nobunga's ambition? Yeah, Nobunga. (laughs) sequel to Nobunga's... Nobunga! Uh, (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually was even uh, kind of behind you guys on that. I didn't realize that this was not a Koei uh, simulation game until it showed up on Crontendo. So that was like a year ago. Well, gosh. So I've lived in ignorance all this time. I, I guess that makes me the only one familiar with this from when it originally came out. <laughs> because I remember uh, my, my cousin had got it and uh, he was really into it at the time. So yeah, this is not a tactical strategy game or anything like that. Uh, it's actually based on a Shonen Jump manga from the time uh, called Tenshi Okurao, The Devouring of Heaven and Earth. Oh, I love it. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, but like I said, it does deal in the Three Kingdoms subject matter. The story of uh, Tenshi Okurao is about uh, Liu Bei and his uh, brotherhood with these other generals, Guan Yu and Zhang Fei, as they uh, fight along to conquer China. And uh, one of the opening lines from the game uh, is, I believe, borrowed from the manga. It says... Uh, Although we were born on different days, we hope to die in the same hour of the same day of the same year. On our very souls, we pledge that this will be true. And so, I mean, <laughs> that sets the tone basically for the story. Guys, Although, in, in 10 years, let's meet back here and die together. And die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I got something going on that day. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a super expert on the Three Kingdoms novels or anything like that, but, uh, you know, it's, I'm sure that's pretty much what it's about. And, of course, as a Shonen Jump manga from, like, the late 80s, it's pretty much big on that action and violence as well you know to make it palatable for the little boys based on the fact that it's based on a manga this is like one of the few non-disney capcom games uh, on consoles anyway at the time i would say um in fact they made more games after this there is a japan only sequel to destiny of an emperor but they also made two arcade beat-em-ups based on it um released in english territories as a dynasty wars and warriors of fate so how about that oh wow <laughs> seems like uh, koei got a bit inspired later on uh <laughs> Oh, wow, I didn't realize those were connected. No, yeah, yeah, one's a sequel to the other. Uh, but this is, of course, why these will never be released, <laughs> ever, because of this big uh, manga license, I would say. Huh. Uh, unless Capcom decides to have a change of heart. You know, they did Dungeons & Dragons recently, so mm-hmm. why not? And DuckTales. So, of course, yeah, DuckTales. <laughs> uh, oh, man, what if they made a DuckTales arcade beat-em-up? 
Oh, man. Whoa. <laughs> Why is that not a thing? Uh, anyway, getting off track. <laughs> uh, so what might make a good strategy game in Romance of the Three Kingdoms, or an action game like those arcade games that we just mentioned, this is instead uh, a Dragon Quest-style RPG, which was basically like half of the Japanese games on Famicom uh, in the late 80s, essentially, because once that boom hit... Everybody was releasing RPGs of all stripes, and they all kind of basically looked and acted a lot like Dragon Quest. Um, Destiny of an Emperor is definitely in that camp, um, although it does add sorts of uh, Three Kingdoms-ish uh, elements to it. Like, you build your party by recruiting new generals and troops, just as you know you might in the Koei games, but uh, because everything is set up with like RPG-type towns, most of the time this only requires you to go up to someone and talk to them and then they'll be like hey let's join up and all of a sudden they're in your party and then or you just uh, beat them in a fight a special fight uh, and, and they immediately join your team uh also very similar to the koei games but again it's done in this cutesy sort of style and uh because of that like the, your party as you enter a battle is not just like these singular generals you have like these uh, numbers under them that represent their troop numbers so while you just see the little icons of these guys, you, you're you supposed to have, like, thousands of troops or however many behind them as well. Yeah, I mean, RPGs were always about abstraction, yeah. and this was taking that to a whole new level. Yeah. This maybe is kind of a stupid question, but did Konami pretty much rip this off for the uh, the army battles in Suikoden? I don't know. I, I, no, yeah. I thought they were very different. Yeah. I th- weren't the battles in Suikoden uh, kind of rock, paper, scissors set up? Or am I yeah, kind of. Else? But, I mean, they still had that abstraction where you basically had, like, like armies, and then you had individual leaders, and each leader had kind of their own strength and their own um, appeal, tactical power, or whatever, and you would kind of pick them. And yeah, there was definitely a rock, scissors, paper to it, but uh, especially in Suikoden 2, there was, there was more to it than that. And yeah. you, you, you kind of approached RPG combat as a strategy game with an army. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe here, it's there's, here there's less to it. Than that, like I didn't think it was, you know, as opposed to Suikoden one to two, and it kind of made it more complicated. This is really felt like troops were just hit points. Like it, it really kind of has yes. a foot in each pond, and it's a little I bit see, uncomfortable. And they come back to life when you go to sleep. Yeah, or sorry, to, you, sorry to jump ahead. Yeah, you, you send out roving press gangs to Shanghai the locals because I was thinking about that abstraction. If, if each uh, general represents a thousand troops, maybe every NPC that's talking about the weather that you run into actually represents a thousand citizens, yeah. and that's why you can actually restock in these towns. Yeah, and mm. that that is literally what it looks like in this game, yeah. and it's kind of ridiculous because you're basically shoehorning the. Dragon Quest formula into something that's dealing with you know, a story about thousands of troops on battlefields and all this sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, uh, Suikoden is a good uh, comparison to people who are more familiar with that series. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a similar sort of setup. And there's other sorts of games that do that a lot. Like even now, there's Warrior's Way, the Street Pass game on 3DS. <laughs> that's all about that as well. Oh, yeah. You Street Pass people and you build your army and yeah, conquer the maybe, land. Maybe Ogre Battle to a certain level. Of to course. A certain degree. Yeah, sure. So uh, Steve asked us, you know, if, if this was maybe the first game of that type of that had that type of party organization on the NES. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we just he says, I'm sure we just choose whatever characters looked coolest. But I'm guessing there was a lot more strategy there than our young minds really understood. Most of us played this uh, before the show, of course, and I don't think I, it didn't really seem that obvious to me. I mean, it is really just these troops represent HP. Yeah, and it is, <laughs> and that is so stark. Especially when you go to an inn in a town, 
and you go to sleep, and all of a sudden, oh, you're back to full capacity, <laughs> and you're all you're just you're just equipping your generals, right? With yeah, weapons and armor. I, yeah. I just assumed you were buying in bulk, and it mm. just represented a you know a hand a dagger for every single troop. I see. Okay. Yeah. Destiny of a Costco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yes, yeah. I mean, there's there's slightly more to the the generals, but not too much more. I think they have like kind of a strength and an intelligence meter, and if they yeah. have you know if they have more intelligence than strength, they can do spells essentially. Yes, tactics. Mm. Um, yeah, rather than feeling like it was a kind of a dragon quest uh, thing, kind of shoehorned into a strategy game, it really felt like just an overlay from the you know a strategy game onto a dragon quest game. Yeah, um, it is know, very interesting in that way, and like. Yeah. <sighs> I don't. I don't mean to. I don't mean to paint it in a negative light. It's just really just ridiculous to see <laughs> when you actually think about it. Knowing all what we know about uh, the history of RPGs now, it's just like okay, these guys go to sleep and now they're full capacity of troops. That's wonderful. But, there, yeah, there's some some ways that it makes it kind of neat and interesting things that it does though. Um, so the running into named NPCs and random encounters. Yes, you know that's really neat. Like there's kind of ways that it plays to the strength mm-hmm. of the 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 kind of set dressing and ways that it clangs yeah so yeah let's talk a bit more about battles i mean you can go into random battles as you walk around the overworld uh, of course uh and but as you begin like you kind of have to build up your party or your army rather and then uh go to these neighboring towns and fight these other generals who won't let you into the town or anything unless you beat them and like if you go ahead and try and beat them from the start of the game you're going to get whooped unless you Go to the random battles, pick up some other people from the other from the other towns that you can go into, and just you know level for a bit, and then you you can go to these neighboring towns and do that sort of thing. And then the battles themselves, uh, just like a straight black screen where you have the two columns of the armies, and they just bump up against each other for a little bit, and sometimes they'll reduce all your troops to nothing, or sometimes they won't. It's just simple RPG survival. There is an auto battle feature, though. Yes, which seems to have a little ahead of its time. Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I can't think of any contemporary games that really incorporated that, especially not Dragon Quest. But yeah, it is nice, especially when you start to build up a longer column, because you can add like you know six or seven guys, I think, on your army. Mm-hmm. And so you have to select commands for every single one of those every time, especially when you're just leveling. Like, yeah, it's nice to have an auto battle, and so they add that for you. But then, of course, you have to kind of sit and wait for the battle to end. Yeah, because just watch these the little do, bars drop still, down. Yeah, it still <laughs> goes on for quite a while as you watch these guys bump up against each other and finally just whittle each other's mm. troops down to nothing. Um, <laughs> and like Gary said, I mean, once you pull back a layer or two of this thing, like it is just another RPG. But like I said, I, don't, I didn't mean to paint it in such a negative light because the facade of it is still appealing. I mean, it's not historically accurate. I mean, neither is Koei's games at this point. But it is an easy-to-grasp introduction, I think, to the sort of Three Kingdoms subset of games. I mean, if you're an absolute beginner at this sort of thing, like, you know, playing a simple Dragon Quest-ish RPG, not that bad. And uh, it's not as rickety as you might think. I mean, it is Capcom behind it, and they were making some pretty good games at this time. So I, it's worth trying out, I would say. Yeah. There are yeah. a couple couple neat things about it. It's it's What struck me when I was playing it was that you're quashing a rebellion, yes. which is so contrary mm-hmm. to the narrative of most of the, the RPGs you know, I've played still still now. Yeah. Um, you're not a plucky young force you know, <laughs> yes, kind of taking yes. over. You're you're <laughs> on the side of the established order. Um, few so experience, in that sense, it's the opposite of Suigoden. Yeah. 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 Ah, yes, yes. So, yeah, you are just a bunch of experienced dudes – Looking to kick ass. Yeah. Yes. And, like, one of the more notable early Famicom games was a game about a, a like, a farmer's uprising. Was that Icky? 
I think. Oh, yeah, Ziki. Yeah, and you were fighting, like, samurai. You were basically <laughs> fighting for your farming rights or yes. whatever. But, uh, yeah, this is, like, the other way around. You're, like, you're like suppressing the people because you're the almighty uh, emperors. Yeah. And, you know... Destined by fate. <laughs> well, and, and even having that kind of... Um, you know, this isn't necessarily... In, in the West, in games that were released in America, it was unusual to find an RPG that had kind of real-life trappings yeah. to it. At least for, you know, in my experience, it was most of the... Uh, RPGs I'd play at the time had kind of a fantasy overlay, um, you know, Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, obviously. So, you know, even though it's not historically accurate, the fact that you were dealing with things that, that did exist, you know, and, and people, you know, places that could historically exist, was, yeah. Yeah. that's really neat. As far as my education went, uh, <laughs> these things might have well been, have been as fake as Dragon Warrior, though, because <laughs> yeah. I think all we covered of Chinese history is like, yeah, they made paper and fireworks. Let's move on to American history. Yeah. We're wasting time here, people. <laughs> yeah. uh, was, there's really like a patronizing view of like other cultures, histories, at least in my, from my, um, you know, history. Well, I think, you know, the way that Koei and other developers sort of treated this whole thing, I mean, as Japanese people looking at this sort of Chinese history, I mean, they now it's just yeah, it's full on like fantasy stuff basically. Yeah, and it's treated, yeah, it's not really given any sort of consideration as a fact that yeah, a lot of this may have happened, but it's like these dudes probably looked a lot more plain than they do now. <laughs> you know, these kind of anime pretty boys. Yeah, it goes both ways for sure. Uh, but I, I, I was actually so as we go on, I mean, there's some other thoughts here, especially from Steve. He also writes. Uh, I also remember being absolutely shocked that my main character, Liu Bei, left the party after the first big event to go become a governor or something, which blew my mind that the game was more about just the main character that you start out as. And uh, indeed, the story does get a bit more wrinkled as it uh, follows the sort of plot line of the manga. And, and soon, you know, uh, people, you know, the guy who's you think may be the central hero leaves, and then all of a sudden you're building up this whole different party of guys and... You have alliances being overturned and uh, opponents getting more fierce, and it's just it, it, it says. I mean, again, if you played the, the Koei games, whether they be Three Kingdoms or Dynasty Warriors, even like yeah, this play, this stuff does get sort of twisted and it does go in different directions, and uh, it's nice to see them sort of try that in this uh, this kind of basic uh, formula, this RPG formula. Uh, and again, as Bob was saying, yeah, this stuff may as well be just. <laughs> fantasy to begin with for people like us uh which is why i think it was really cool that capcom localized it in america definitely yeah uh before i go on bob you were saying about the box oh yeah if you were still afraid of chinese history you had a free Mega Man sticker waiting for you in that box (laughs) i don't know what it looked like but uh it was free and it was yours if you were gonna take a risk on destiny of an emperor right there on the front of the box yeah to make sure that you're at least halfway interested in this. <laughs> Free sticker, eh? I'm in. Here's my 60 bucks. Yeah. And <laughs> maybe a poster. But yeah, it was cool they localized it, but I, I'm left wondering why. Because from everything that we've already said, I mean, Capcom in the U.S. was already an established action game company on NES. And Koei was also making Romance of the Three Kingdoms, but... That was more of a niche market comparatively. I mean, they weren't really made for kids. They were for more thoughtful players of, of an older uh, of an older bracket. I kind of have a theory about why this was brought over. Okay. I feel like 1990 was 
one of the first major initiatives to have RPGs catch on in America. Yes. Uh, Dragon Quest, uh, sorry, Dragon Warrior was 1989, I believe, in America. And then Final Fantasy was 1990, and this was 1990 as well. So I, I thought maybe Capcom was like, maybe these things will catch on. Maybe this will be our, like, our toe in the water, so to speak. Um, but what was really out then except Dragon Warrior? I mean, Final Fantasy was about to come out around the same time. I mean, I wouldn't say that these well, things were exactly proven. Right. I mean, no, but they maybe, were proven, oh. but I, I'm, I'm with Bob. I think that this is a case of probably, you know, Capcom looking to see what Nintendo's localization plans were, seeing that they were localizing Dragon Quest and that they were publishing Final Fantasy over here and saying, all right, this is, you know, this is a huge genre here in Japan. This is about to just, you know, explode in America. We've got to get in on the ground floor. We want to be there. We want people to look to our game when yeah. they start thinking back on this genre. And that didn't happen. <laughs> You know, who could have guessed that that the RPG, which was born in America and Canada and uh, kind of came into its own in Japan, wouldn't wouldn't become a big hit again in America. That's unthinkable. (laughs) It's inconceivable. And here comes, you know, the most Asian RPG (laughs) from Capcom of all people. And that's that. I mean, that's really my central point. It's like, yeah, Capcom didn't really have a lot of their own RPGs to choose from. So I guess they could only go with this. But it seemed like such... It was this or Sweet Home. Yeah, it seemed yeah. like a gamble yeah. in either way. Well, I would have... I would have gone with Sweet Home. Yeah, I would have played the hell out of Sweet Home. Yeah, I mean, this you know scared me off, but I would have dove head first into Sweet Home. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. So, I mean, either way, it came out, and, you know, they didn't... They they did translate things like uh, Makai Island, which was the NES uh, uh, reinterpretation of uh, Hige Maru, which uh, you may have heard us mention in the last minute. Right, episode. right. Like, it was, it, it was the NES Adventure version of Higemaru. Okay. And it came out in Japan, but they translated it, but didn't release it in America. Okay, I was wondering. Like, and that's, that. like, just as weird. Yeah. <laughs> but then they go ahead and do Destiny of the Emperor. So, I mean, I probably sound more astounded by that than I really am, but it, it's just an interesting thing that I like to point out, that they did release an RPG in the early days of RPGs on NES in this country, but... Um, yeah, it did not end up <laughs> all that well remembered. I guess people didn't like that Mega Man sticker. <laughs> but, they returned the game, it, but not was, the sticker. It was, it was Mega Man peeing on a Ford logo. Yeah. <laughs> so they... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I bet you can get that. But uh, I would say, again, it's not all that bad a game. It's just kind of ridiculous uh, in, in today's uh, sorts of perspectives. Um, so if you are the sort to explore early RPGs, especially on NES and things, I mean, this is, uh, worth checking out, I would say. It does have a kind of Capcom level of quality. It does have some jovial music as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it does sound like a Capcom game. Um, I don't, did you guys have any, uh, sorts of last thoughts on it? Should we talk about the sequel, which was, uh, fan translated? Oh, yes. Sorry, I wasn't sure if you were getting to that or not. Yes, yeah, there was a sequel, and like I said at the beginning, and it would, there is an English fan translation out there on the internet if you want to find it. Uh, the game, I mean, the sequel does not look too different from the first game. In fact, the setup is much the same, um, but uh, it does deal with uh, lots of the same stories and plot points and things, and uh, it is improved in little areas. Uh, so yeah, you can find that, I guess, on romhacking.net. Yeah, I mean, you can find, find everything there, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, all those fan translations can be found there. Uh, if you want to fiddle with that, um, anything else, Bob? I was just going to say, you guys talked about the uh, the arcade sequels to this to the the license, right? Like, I'm curious to know more about those. Um, <laughs> were those those were developed by Koei, right? So they're not Capcom beat 'em ups. No, these were Capcom arcade games. Okay, they yeah. are. Okay, is that all? <laughs> 
No, I'm I'm just kind of curious to hear more about them. I I've like there are there are they the ones where you ride around on a horse? Yes, horseplay does okay. factor in. Horseplay, yes. <laughs> horseplay. <laughs> no, no running around the pool. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah. No, I, I'm just kind of curious about those. Like where they fit into all of this. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good question. I mean, it's, it's just the same way that like the Ninja Turtles arcade game fits into like the NES games. I mean, it's just a separate treatment of the same stories characters and things um but yes as a capcom arcade game it does resemble all those it's it, i mean it's like uh it's kind of like the Dungeons and dragons you know before they made those they made these and uh looks very similar and uh, there's horses involved <laughs> much as there is also in dynasty warriors today i mean that was like a sort of a weird sort of unique selling point to this um and yeah those were also translated in, in, into english released in english territories and one, I think, believe the the second one was ported to PlayStation in Japan and Saturn, probably as well. Uh, only the second one, I don't know why, but yeah. yeah. Hmm. One of the things, um, going back to the first one for a moment, that struck mm-hmm. me, um, and I, I don't have tons of experience with the game; I haven't beat it or anything. Um, but I really like how it sets up kind of the the meat wall difficulty. You know, my point of every comparison for everything is Dark Souls always. But, sure. you know, you can you right out the gate if you head south, you're just going to get stomped. There's no, you know, someone saying you have to be stronger to get past this bridge. There's no, right. you know, like Final Fantasy with Garland, you know, you have to beat that before you can access the rest of the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's nothing like that. So, and that, I think that's really neat and kind of, you know, you can you, kind of do trial and error. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just mean in the fact that, yeah, once you decide to step outside the bounds, like... You don't really get a warning. It's just like, oh, yeah. these guys. Have That's the first thing that happened to me. I got my ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that what because kind of... uh, because like these towns are so close together from your starting point. Yeah, and our conventional RPG knowledge says, well, if they're close enough, I mean, they're safe enough to go into, mm-hmm. right? But oh no, <laughs> no, I mean, you get whooped. And the uh, but what kind of what under undermined that to me was that. Uh, Sometimes, you know, especially if you didn't auto battle, but the battles would take so long yeah. and it would happen so late for me to know that I, w- I was unequipped for this. I could kind of look at the <laughs> yeah. numbers, but yeah. <laughs> if you're literally just picking out every action, these battles take, you know, five or six times as long as a, you know, a, a battle of the same, same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so it just, it, everything was very slow. And I think that if you're going to have that kind of difficulty wall, you have to be able to kind of rapidly prototype, you know, I need to be able to fail quickly yeah. and, uh, and retry as opposed to slowly. Yeah, that's a good point, and it's definitely something I, yeah, recognized in it as well. <laughs> well, if we don't have any other thoughts, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up, shall we? Once again, I, I, I recommend checking it out as, if, as a historical point, if nothing else. Uh, just a shame it did, didn't really seem to be as fondly remembered. <laughs> no. <laughs> didn't seem seem to be so easily forgotten and then confused with the Koei games, <laughs> and then... Well, anyway, uh, thank you to Stephen Stook, who suggested this episode for us. Uh, of course, we appreciate your money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should have like you should be holding up against the mic and like just flipping through all the bills. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like Steve said, it's just one of those games that you sort of randomly played as a kid, or you just randomly played it uh, before this episode. So <laughs> it's one of those situations. So I'm glad I could do it, and I'm familiar with it, and I enjoyed it at the time as well. So yes, that's it for this episode of Retronauts Pocket. Uh, thanks everybody. Uh, we are on Retronauts.com. You can find us, check out our episodes, track those things. Find us on Twitter and Facebook as well, under the same name, Retronauts. Uh, once again, as we mentioned in the last episode, uh, if you uh, be, will be sending out our t-shirts and things of that nature finally, and uh, you should probably be receiving those very soon already. And please take pictures of yourselves in them, out of them, 
but still wearing another shirt. But we're yeah. putting together a calendar. Yeah, no, no, no. It's best if you know no. the men of retronauts. You, oh boy, I recommend yeah, at least wearing a different shirt. Okay, thanks. <laughs> get, send us some pictures of those. We'll put them on Twitter. We'll retweet you. Sure, we love it. If you're a babe or a hunk. Okay. <laughs> 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 That's our secret stretch goal. The listeners of Retronauts calendar. calendar. I'm sorry. 2015. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else notable we should mention? No. I mean, we do streams every now and then. We try to. I try to. <laughs> Bob's better at it than I am. Uh, yeah, we're on Twitch TV sometimes. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Bob and Jeremy. It's been so much fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, very welcome. We'll be back with another big time episode of Retronauts very soon. Goodbye, everybody.